0: Hi everyone, Dan here. And before we start the show, I'd like to take a moment to talk about the wmq Patreon and what it can do for you. For example, did you know we have a monthly bonus podcast called Our Son Pete in which a guest joins me to talk about a comic starring British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom? It's true. We also have Pete Wisdom stickers designed by Kevin Newburn that say hot claws on them and look great. But maybe that's not what you're looking for. Maybe You're an up-and-coming creator trying to get the word out about your Kickstarter, Zoop, webcomic, or independent book. We can only do so many hour-long interviews in a month. But for $25, we'll dedicate a 60-second spot to shouting out your project, guaranteeing you a few hundred extra earballs. Or maybe you want to advertise your mattress in a box or online therapy program or your pubic hair trimmer. For $50 a month, you can sponsor the show. Who wouldn't want to hear me read ad copy about custom-fit underpants or whatever? These are all options available to you. But only if you back us at Patreon.com/WMQComics. What are we gonna do? Say no to your money? Actually, we will if you're a Nazi, but you're probably not, right? W M Q A. Hello and welcome to W M Q A, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote, and I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guest is the writer of the new Humanoids graphic novel, The Dying Star, as well as Boom Studios' Seasons Have Teeth. Marvel's upcoming Loki and uh DC's upcoming Night Terrors Detective Comics, Dan Waters. Welcome, Dan. Nice having me. So uh you've got a lot of comics coming out, uh, as we just listed, which means Matt and I have a lot of solicit blurbs to read. So we'll get to it. Uh let's let's start with The Dying Star, which is your uh, upcoming graphic novel for uh set in the InCal universe with uh John Davis Hunt and uh Troy Terry over at Humanoids. Uh out I believe the week this episode drops. Uh Matt. If you would
1: things are not going well for commander cayman loose love of his life is dead his home for two destroyed his crew ghostly apparitions and his crocodilian mutation taking over more and more of his body commander cayman is fighting for his life on multiple fronts just when it seems like despair may overtake him a chance encounter with a strange violin connects him with aurora a woman living in a future where she is staring down almost certain destruction. With his passions renewed, Cayman hatches a bold plan to find a cure for his mutation and a future with his newfound love. However, Cayman's past is catching up with him, and Aurora's future faces imminent doom from an approaching hostile fleet. Two timelines tick towards tragedy, and only an act of pure love can save them. So uh, how did this gig come about?
2: Humanoids, Jake Thomas and Humanoids reached out to me um, this was a, a long while ago now um, this has been a, a bit of a labour of love we've been working on it for a long time mm. um, they just reached out and asked uh, if, if there was anything in the Inco universe I, I liked the idea of getting my teeth into um, and you know as soon as I saw there was a sort of moody emo space pirate who'd lost everything uh, that seemed like the the obvious obvious way to go for me
0: had you read a lot of, of the NCAL stuff before taking this assignment? Because th- there is a lot of it, uh, and with some amazing art too. I mean, I'd read the uh the original. Um I think to be honest, that that's all I'd, I'd read at that at that time. Um, mm-hmm. and then I, I
2: caught up uh, in the process of sort of researching for, for this gig. Um yeah, I mean, you know, the first is is, is such a classic and such a such a beautiful book. Um yeah, it's you know I think everyone everyone's at least
0: at least uh, approached that one. So uh, what do what do people need to know about this world and, and the inkle and all that going into the dying star?
2: Much hopefully if we've done our jobs right. Um, you always want everything to connect, but you don't want it to be entirely dependent on um, having read you know a whole load of lore or a whole load of other other people's work. So I, I guess all you really need to know is is the this is a safe pirate who who used to be a big deal and has now lost everything, um, and is uh, not very happy about it. Uh, hopefully, that's that's you know uh, that gives us enough
0: to just jump straight from there and uh, and tell a good story. Uh, how did you like working with uh, with John Davis? This is you this was your first time working with him, right?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, John's amazing. Um, I, I I knew John's work from the Storm. Yeah, uh, Ginny was a beautiful book in itself. Um, but John's, the, John's like maybe the only artist I work with who adds panels rather than takes them away. <laughs> like he'll, he, he, his like attention to detail and the way he manages to make things like storytelling so like clean on a page, uh, which has like twelve panels in it, is 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 incredible. Any
0: other artist would, would sort of throttle you for for suggesting it, and he'll turn it off his own back. Speaking generally a lot of the books that uh, you've got coming out that we're going to be talking about today you know have you paired with with great artists you know which isn't to say that that wasn't something that you were weren't already accustomed to you know obviously you're known for working a lot with Casper Wingard with Danny so i imagine you've got a rhythm with them that you might not with other artists you know what, what is something that you do differently when you're working with an artist for the first time
2: I guess you, you can't take things for granted um, when you're working with someone new um, different artists like different levels of detail they're like you know um, some artists would, would want fight scene choreographed and others you know and they would think you're not doing your job if you don't do it whereas others uh, you know want, want the freedom to be able to, to, to build it themselves and you know um, that's always a little bit I guess I guess it's always a bit like a first date uh working with a new artist you have to sort of uh do a little bit of that dance but generally the scripts get shorter as the uh as you develop a, a, a shorthand so you know i know what, what things to leave in or what things to take out uh yeah. when i'm writing for danny or casper um and went went up with a real such happened everything tends to become more conversation than um uh, dictate di- dictation. Um, whereas, yeah, it's some, I mean, sometimes when you're writing, uh, the nature of the of the beast with like the big two is is that you don't know who you're writing for as well. So that that always means you have to uh, you put in a lot of detail. Um, Think like one of the um the 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 ones I remember like about that in like the biggest way was uh, writing a script with loads of detail in because I have no idea who was doing it. And then my editor saying, like, okay, great. So I'm sending this to John Paul Leon. Uh, and I was just like, can I can I uh, take the script back? And take <laughs> out a lot of details. Can I please uh, not tell Grandma how to suck eggs?
0: <laughs> so uh, this is one of three graphic novels that Humanoids is releasing uh, in succession sent in the... Uh, in the InKel universe, along with Psychoverse by Mark Russell and Yannick Cat, which came out already, and uh, Kill Wolfhead by Brandon Thomas and Pete Woods, which is coming out later this year. What, to you, gives uh, Jodorowsky's in universe these kinds of legs that, you know, 40 years on or whatever, you know, you continue to find different pockets of stories?
2: I think that's it. There's a, there's a breadth to it. There's a scope to it, which is unusual in a, you know, a sort of shorter shorter graphic novel, which I, I guess it's not by this by this day in time. But you know, it was always, I think there's no there's sort of no secret that it was very, you know, in, inspired by Dune and and the uh that that, that film which never came to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um and you know that's another another universe with a with a grand scope. Um I think there's just so many wild ideas thrown into the the out that are very like off the cuff and you can't kind of tell what's, uh, what's Gerardowski and what's Mobius. And, you know, it's, it's, there's just, there's so much going on in the background of anything. I, I was almost tempted to do that. I was almost tempted to take some sort of like background character. build a book around that. I don't know if they'd let me do that. Uh, but yeah, there's, yeah, it's, it's just a, a wealth of ideas that, that aren't necessarily explored in the main book.
1: The book is in the dimensions of European albums, so somewhat larger in page size than the standard American comic. Do you take that into account in your scripting for laying out panels and such, or do you just trust the artist with whatever dimensions they have to use?
2: It's it's a good question. It it would definitely depend on who I was working with. If if I'm honest, I'm trying to think back um, whether I knew. I don't think I knew John was drawing this book. Right when I started writing it. In which case I might have thrown even more at the at the wolf page by page, just because he's someone who can he can handle it so well. Um but yeah, generally speaking, I would I would definitely want to. Um you don't always necessarily know what format uh, something like this is going
0: to come out in, or if it might come out in multiple formats. So a uh, a thing that I learned in doing the prep for this episode is that. Jodorowsky is still alive. You know, he's 94 years old. Wow. Uh, you know, was he a presence at all, you know, in this process?
2: I know they sent him things for approval. Um, I was I was sort of kept out of that side of things. I know, I know it's still his his uh his sort of child, so uh, mm-hmm. I think he had to um yeah, sort of uh, make sure everything was in line with what he wants out of in verse um, but yeah I mean my editors were good at keep sort uh, away from any sort of I, mean, I was definitely not told no at any point but
0: <laughs> well, that that's good to hear uh, yeah I, I, I wasn't sure at, at that age sort of like what level of like Stanley he is like
1: for uh, <laughs> his little world <laughs> I thought the idea of the order that Aurora, is a member of letting books and knowledge at the end of things just molder to their sort of natural end and not reading them and not touching them was just this fascinating little bit of apocalyptic, cultish lore. Can you speak to that a little? I just thought it was just such a cool idea.
0: Oh Yeah,
1: it's very,
2: like, I, remember, I can kind of pinpoint when I started writing uh, this book because it was around the same time I started doing Coffinbound uh, with Danny oh, wow. which was another book about uh, entropy I think in a, in a very big way so I was reading a lot of uh, nihilist philosophy and like pessimist philosophy and I think that's a lot of what ended up in, uh, in both of these books um, yeah, there almost probably is a bit of a strange, they, you know, they wouldn't seem like obvious, uh, sort of obvious pairing, one being a creator own thing and one being, uh, you know, a, a, owned by someone else. But I think they probably have explored similar topics, but be- come to very different conclusions. So i kind of trying to explore the idea of, of you know, how we go through life, knowing that at the end, everything is uh, rotten the worm, as the, uh, the cult put it in the, in the book.
0: Wow. So, so so we're talking like 2017, 2018 for that, right then? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. That does go back a ways. Now, is that something like you were working on sort of consistently all that time? You know, was it, were there periods where it was like sort of, it took a back burner because, you know, DC wanted you to write X book or, 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 you know, whatever it was? And I think John was working on other projects as well at the okay. time,
2: so so it's been this kind of like consistent thing mm-hmm. of that we've been just sort of like steadily working on. Um, you know, I don't think there was any like rush, um, so we sort of were able to like take our time and and go back and forth. You know, make changes and things, which is always very nice. It's <laughs> not always the uh,
0: the the possibility with the monthly monthly comics. Sure, of course, absolutely uh speaking of a monthly comic so the next book we have on the docket here is uh seasons have teeth from uh, boom studios with artist sebastian cabral colorist dan jackson and letterer nate picos issue one is out now issue two is out may 17th uh, as of this recording uh matt why don't you refresh folks memory of issue
1: one in a drab colorless world the seasons bring change and also destruction andrew a retired conflict photographer lives a life steeped in regret after an unthinkable tragedy. But everything shifts when the seasons arrive, each one a personified, godlike creature. As he risks everything to track down spring, summer, autumn-fall, and winter, will capturing the perfect picture of each be enough to find redemption and ultimately bring color back to his world.
0: So we'll, we'll start at the beginning here. What is, what is the origin of this project? You know, how, how long ago did you first conceive this one? In a very different
2: way I've had it for a very long time. It was almost, to be honest, it was almost, um, evolved out of a character that I wanted to put into Lucifer and never found space for, um, uh, personification of, of winter, um, Yeah, it sort of turned into a very, very different beast. The original idea was far more sort of like Sandmanny, and it evolved into this sort of monster thing. Once I started discussing it with Boom, uh, which which made a lot more sense for the actual um, story we're telling here. Um, So yeah, the the idea goes back a long way. It's a story I've wanted to tell for a long time, and I've also been uh, er Eric. Harbor and Boom and I have been trying to work together for quite a long time as well. So it's been a it was a case of matching up the right uh, the right book to the right publish.
0: Um so we've we finally got that. Had had you had intended this to be a boom pitch, or was this, you know, that's where it ended up landing?
2: I mean, I think I think by the time I had to yes, I, by the time I had to put uh Pen to paper and, and and put it together as a pitch. It was when uh, Boom and I were trying to find something to work on together. We had that was another one that almost almost went, but uh, I think it was similar. You know, was coming out at the time. Uh, so yeah, I definitely I wrote
0: it up before Boom. I would I would say that. And uh, did they pair you up with with Sebastian or or had you uh, brought him in?
2: Yeah, they they uh, they found Sebastian. They came to me on a list of very very good just, and Smash was just knew with the right fit for this and he has um a real slope of sort of styles he can he can sort of pick up and drop um and i knew that this book was something we wanted to feel extremely different issue by
0: issue
2: mm-hmm. uh, he was the obvious pick once we once we uh started circling his
0: work yeah, that that's definitely something I wanted to kind of home in on here, because when we talk about a story with seasons, we talk about a story with, you know, shifting colors, designs, moods, looks and feels. You know, how how did you and, and the art team kind of click into place on that?
2: It's quite a bit back and forth on it um, in terms of the, the, the original idea was that the issues were going to be entirely black and white until the sort of seasons started to appear in each in each issue and. We tried that, and it felt a little too, you know. We wanted things to feel drab, but then it's probably not the best idea for half your book to feel drab. <laughs> um, so, so we we end up putting a little bit of color into the into the um, into the pages. Um, yeah, shout out to to Dan Jackson for being very patient with us in terms of uh, uh, doing so many samples um, on the early pages to sort of land on the right level of um, saturation. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, that's still an ongoing process as we sort of like finish up the book because each issue does feel like its own its own beast, like quite literally uh, in this in this book's case. Um, so each each one is almost like approaching a new issue.
0: Yeah, no, and that's something I definitely appreciated about it. There's sort of like a, you know, the book starts out very gray and sepia. But at the same time, when the color is introduced, you know, it, it's, that's when you realize, oh shit, you know, whatever's about to go down is about to go down. And you start seeing the vines creep in and even like the most, what I, what I will call the most menacing dandelion that I have ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, well, I'm, great. I'm glad that works. Um, yeah, that, that's definitely the sort of uh,
2: feeling we wanted to invoke. And the idea of, you know, these, different points in life where where you know sort of when you you hit certain ages and things just seem to become so important and so sort of like this loud
0: colorful um that's 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 what i wanted to capture with this book you know at the same time you know you've you've got four issues four seasons obviously one for each i imagine in terms of scripting that's about as structured as 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 you can get you know there's no room for like sort of decompression in one space and then having to cram at the end there yeah i mean
2: it, it, as far as it, you know you know what what once you're tackling in each in each issue um so you're not going to end up with uh you know three trying to cram three monsters into one issue or anything <laughs> like that um but other than that the you know the, the you can kind of out Moist most writing, you can do whatever you want. Uh, whether people
0: like it or not, is a different question. <laughs> fair, fair. Uh, but for you, though, how did you like playing in the 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 sort of kaiju as metaphor for climate change uh, subgenre?
2: I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it, people are... I'm, I'm interested in how much people are tapping into the sort of climate change thing when they're talking about it. I don't know that it was the primary thing. Yeah. Uh, that I was thinking about when I was writing it. I mean, it's definitely there. There's definitely a sort of uh, thing, especially as the sort of book goes on, and there's you know sort of more and more people getting like evacuated, and especially in sort of like, Western countries, um, mm-hmm. that was an interesting thing to, to to include and to talk about a little bit. But yeah, the the, the you know the book is quite, I think. Hopefully about you know it's, it's about the the seasons of a life and and the and, and the things we go through and I guess but i guess it's hard to write about any of that at this time this point in in history without thinking about those things thinking about climate change thinking about you know how how things seem to be uh, collapsing around us in a very big way and that's kind of what
0: we've got to you know grapple with with our futures what made what made a photographer a good occupation for the protagonist of this book? You know, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, like, Phil Sheldon from Marvels, but, you know, with, with giant monsters instead of the Avengers, you know what I mean?
2: You yeah, I, guess, I guess it I feel like, obviously, I mean, there's... Um, partly because I was reading a few things about the doctors, and, I was, and we were sort of thinking about this this monster idea, um, I was reading a book called, uh, the bang bang club, which is about the, uh, uh, South African photographers who, who, you know, sort of made a lot of stirs in, uh, war photography in the nineties, but all sort of ended up, you know, quite a few of them ended up sort of depressed or dead or, um, uh, you know, taking their own lives and things because, uh, because the sorts of things they'd seen and the things they'd sort of, uh, had to grapple with. Um, and I thought, you know, there's always something very interesting about like an observer, uh, any any character who's a sort of active observer uh, in a book, uh, particularly in a comic book, when it's the whole the whole medium is uh, based around around watching and, and observing and kind of there's a voyeuristic element to it to begin with. Um, and yeah, the idea that he's a protagonist, he kind of uh, has watched his life go by and hasn't engaged with it in a way that he's finds super satisfying but has always been trying to capture something there was you know a lot a lot of uh a lot to play with, with the idea of
0: photography but is that is that a hobby you've ever explored yourself massively
2: i don't think i've, I've gone much further than like
0: that. <laughs> all right so uh moving on uh next Uh, We'll talk a little bit about Loki, which starts uh, June 7th at Marvel. And uh, Matt, I'm going to take this one for funsies. Uh, They may be the benevolent god of stories now, but Loki's past as the god of lies returns to haunt them when ancient, powerful weapons they once built end up scattered across the Ten Realms. Loki must track down these weapons before they fall into the wrong hands and bring about Ragnarok. Now, if there's one thing Marvel's amassed over eight decades... uh, it's intellectual property, but if there's a subset of that <laughs> germane to this discussion, uh, it's MacGuffins, and it sounds like this book is lousy with them. So, uh, without you know seeking the specific ones in this book, what what is your sort of favorite Mighty Marvel uh, doodad or or, or guga? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the tablet that turns Silvermane into a baby. <laughs> That's a fun one. <laughs> I'm
2: gonna that question. Um... Hey, my mind's been my mind's been
0: utterly blank. Uh. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what.
1: While you're while you're on the spot and thinking, Matt, what's your answer? Uh, the Infinity Gems, not the the latter day Infinity Stones and all the changes. No, the ones that Thanos hunted down to take from the, the Elders of the Universe and that formed the Infinity Gauntlet. As a guy who came into Marvel Comics with the Infinity Gauntlet, I have a real soft spot for that particular period. After they were the Soul Gems, before they were the Infinity Stones, those suckers have gone through all manner of iterations over the numerous decades since Jim Starlin just was kind of like, yeah, this funny gem on Warlock's head, let's do something weird with that. Because Jim Starlin just likes to look at anything and go, hey, let's do something weird with that, which is not a dig, I'm good with that.
0: I was gonna, I was gonna say, all right, you like the Jim Starlin's jewelry iteration of of those, uh, yeah, that's good.
2: I guess yes, maybe my favorite MacGuffin is um, is Spider Man. I like, I like all the plot lines where people just decide they're just gonna have him and they're just gonna go at him for no reason. Um, <laughs> you know, he's always been J. Jameson's MacGuffin. Um, Smythe likes to have a go. Um it's anything where they just
0: decide to, like hunt him down and
2: just ruin his day.
0: Yeah. Okay. I like that. Was I, I was, the- I've I've been reading a lot of Amazing Spider-Man with my son, like the old stuff, and I, some of the best issues are the ones where Jonah's like, "Okay, I'm gonna pay a guy to take out Spider-Man," and oh no, it's backfired again. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah.
2: So you know, that's how the Scorpion came to exist. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's I, like, there was the, there was the whole bit where where he even had to like come up with like three or four other secret identities just so that he could like not be hounded every single day of his life. And it still didn't work.
1: <laughs> and there was a whole series in the... I want to say it was early aughts. It might have been the very late 90s. Tangled uh, Web. That was all these stories around like the people that would stumble into Spider-Man's life. Like, there's a Crusher Hogan issue. There's a f- phenomenal issue by Greg Rucca and Eduardo Rizzo about one of the Kingpin's lieutenants whose crime got screwed over by Spider-Man. And when he gets the call in the middle of the night, he knows that Fisk is going to kill him. So he has to sort of make the preparations for this. And It's, it's this gorgeous little one-off called severance package that it, it's one of those Greg Rucker crime stories that you just it is a perfect little gem.
2: Check that down that sounds great i always love a little side side story specifically like uh the issue of the invisible is just about like that one uh henchman that, that king mob kills that's one of my favorite comics
1: and, and there's two other issues in that run separated because they were one offs and there it's darwin cook and Jay bone and it's college age peter one is i think one is christmas and one is valentine's day and it's just a down on his luck Probably Ramita Lee era story, but it's it's one is Darwin Cook pencils with J Bone inks, and the other is the inverse, and it's they're both just great. Very cool.
0: No slackers in that lineup. No, not at all, not at all. But this is this is your first Marvel book. I, I I swear, you know, I feel like how long you've been kicking around D.C. and like where I've seen, you know, Ram and Alex. I'm like, I must have Mandela affected you it writing something.
2: There was some, some solicit recently called me D.C. veteran Dan Waters and I crumbled into dust immediately when I saw it. <laughs>
0: But 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 we're absolutely sure you don't have like a three issue prestige Venom adjacent character miniseries no. somewhere. No, no no no.
2: No, I think I didn't. I didn't do. I think I did my first superhero book in like twenty eighteen. Like first superhero comic at all. So it's, you know, five years, I've been sort of uh, doing doing bits and pieces at DC. You
0: know, you're 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 working with uh, with Herman Peralta on this one again. Another great artist. Might be one of my favorite artists the last like five years or so. What is, what's a non-spoilery thing that he did to surprise you in uh, crafting this series?
2: It's, it's been a real, like, you know, it's, it's always like sort of very easy to say, and it always sounds a little bit trite and, and rote, but it has been like an absolute dream working with Herman. Like there are certain creators that you just kind of click with and, and immediately it, it just sort of works. Mm-hmm. And and I really felt that on this. His his like storytelling is incredible, um, and just the amount of character he'll put into every little background so, You know, like I will feel bad because I'm like you know I've, I've like named characters like Troll Two, and then they've got like all of this character, all of this sort of you know like life when they when they when they appear on the page. Um, but also again, like, there was one I just got through some 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 links for the issue two. And uh, there was one there's one moment in that which uh yeah. this was a big emotional moment for one of the characters, a sort of death. Um, but he made it somehow hysterical. Um, but it makes it darker than 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 I even thought it was gonna be because it's it's so funny and it's ruining someone's life. Um <laughs> That makes me sort fucking of terrible person.
1: <laughs> what's it the i think it's mel brooks uh stubbing your toe is a tragedy someone else falling down a manhole cover and dying is comedy Tragedy plus plus time right comedy is tragedy
2: yeah. plus time
0: there you go <laughs> yep Compared with a lot of other Silver Age Marvel villains, Loki has seen an amazing transformation in the last 15 years or so. You know, they've become this more morally gray, gender fluid, God of stories, as opposed to the uh, invisible mustache twirling God of mischief that they were understanding Jack. You know, what facets of the character uh, uh, appeal to you? I
2: think it's exactly that. Like it's this um, unpredictability, Uh, you know, is extremely mercurial um and sort of changes allegiances on a whim and and all that sort of stuff which makes you know it's a character who's born of frost giants raised by gods but feels more human than than a lot of characters and a lot of stories and i think that is because we can see a lot of ourselves in loki and and there's even like i think a little bit of like wish fulfillment there in the in the they sort of get away with doing whatever they want to do and can sort of be whatever they want to be at any point in time. Um, not that that doesn't come around and like bite them in the butt a whole lot, but <laughs> they always kind of wriggle their way out is, is part of the, the joy of that, I think. Um so yeah, that was that's that, you know, I think that's that's a really cool and organic evolution that the character's been through like over the years.
1: What similarities and differences do you find between Loki and the other great mythic trickster, you had a considerable run on Lucifer Morningstar.
2: Well, I think I think they do. They they fall into a similar category of, of being these sort of uh, you know tricks figures, uh, or or the sort of um, the thing we need to uh, to de- denounce in ourselves. Uh, and I think that's that's a lot of fun and that's something that, that I'm definitely interested in exploring in general. You know, they're, they're both kind of, not that they haven't done the terrible things that, that they're um, they're accused of doing, but they're also a little bit the sacrificial goat that lets us feel better about ourselves because it's not our fault, it's Lucifer's fault, or it's Loki's fault. Whereas like, writing them, it does feel a little bit like writing Lucifer's, like, sulky younger uh, which is a lot of fun.
1: So a little further down... And so a little more vague, uh, you'll be writing the Detective Comics tie-in to the upcoming DC event, Night Terrors. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am taking the solicitation and copy on this one because it's a bat book and that's my thing. Jim Gordon stumbles upon a sacred ritual held by three disciples chanting around an enchanted clock and one of them is wearing the robotic bat suit that he donned many years ago as Batman. Except this metal suit seems to have soldered directly into the flesh of the wearer. What do these creatures want with Gotham? And why are they targeting Jim's daughter, Babs, too? This has to be a dream, right? Or perhaps it's a nightmare. But if you die in it, you can die in real life as well. So... This is sort of taking Detective Comics' place for a couple issues. Um, and it's a story, obviously, from that solicitation copy, about Jim Gordon, who is in a really interesting place right now. He's no longer Commissioner Gordon. He's P.I. Gordon. He's gone through this whole period hunting the Joker. He's now in the middle of Ron V's Gotham Nocturne, working with this mysterious character, Sorrow. What... Do you have a particular affection for Jim? And was this pitched to you as, hey, we want you to write Jim Gordon, or you have anything else you want to do in the Batman universe as you've done some Batman already, and you picked Jim? I
2: picked Jim. It was... I was kind of going to do... I do not want to approach Batman himself too much, just because, uh, you know, that's, that's some main books doing that, um, and and you know, there's the Batman issues as well, um, so so it made sense to me to, to sort of focus on some supporting cast and uh, yeah, I've always loved Jim Gordon, particularly from since uh, year one. Um, and that sort of like you know take on the character. I think he's a very sort of complex and and multifaceted character who who holds his own in Gotham despite owning zero spandex anymore um, since he last wore that suit anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I also love the idea of of, of, of revisiting that uh, that era and that that that, that, uh, that, uh, that suit because I think it's it's been underutilized. It's a really fun idea that scott and greg did but um and the you know once the idea uh the pitch head sword batman came into my
1: i knew i had to i had to run with that you hit my next question about what where, where the the bat bunny armor <laughs> the, the time for the return of jim gordon as batman as the tick uh, came in
2: uh, yeah, it was that. It was it was it was it was suggested, uh, you know. Oh, we could bring back the armor. And um, suggestion. My immediate thought was, you know, Tetsu the Iron Man thing. Uh, that seemed like a sort of really close uh, thing to to do with that armor.
0: Uh, so I couldn't couldn't resist at that point. We haven't seen a lot of of. You know the art, obviously, because this is a book that is not coming out until the summer. But you know what we've seen from Ricardo Federici, uh, who man, you know, I, I I did enjoy seeing his stuff. With, oh my god, with Philip Kennedy Johnson, the whole like Superman Warworld old arc just going full like John Carter of Mars with it, and now we've got this sort of like twisted, gnarled, demonic take on on the Gordon. Uh, that armor like what was it like seeing that stuff for the first time in your inbox? Oh it's incredible it's still coming in it's
2: it's incredible every time it really is there's some I really wanted to push into the sort of surreal side more so once I knew Ricardo was drawing it and he has been sending some pages that just uh mind blowing. There was one that uh that I that he sent and I sent it to Alex Backentel just to show him and Alex said, "Wait, if this is a if this is an interior page rather than a cover, then we're no longer friends." And so <laughs> Alex and I are no longer friends. I, I, you know, I'm announcing it here on the podcast for the first time. Alex and I parted ways
0: because um, Ricardo drew art that was too pretty. <laughs> yeah.
1: There's
0: there's our there's our scoop for the episode, but uh, you know. Speaking of your 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 friends or or you know I guess current and former friends now you know you're you're doing backups now in in tech which uh, you know Ram is doing the main story on you know like how do you, how do you like sort of working with your friends in the space of the same book?
2: Yeah, great. I mean, it's 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 a cool thing to do. We've already kind of like Ram and I in particular because we've both been doing stuff for a little while. We've already had a bit of call and response, a bit of back and forth, like between our books. Yeah. He put, he put our version of Ten-Eyed Man into, into tech already. And uh, Father Valley from, from Cab Woman, his Cab Woman was, became like a major character in, in sort of Azrael. Um, So we, we, yeah, we kind of already were talking, we were, you know, we already sort of knew we wanted to explore similar things in that space. So once, that uh, position on, on the backups of tech came up, then uh, that was seemed a really cool way to keep doing that. So you
1: you just mentioned those two particular miniseries, but you did two of the more delightfully unusual Batman-related miniseries of the past few years. Uh, Arkham City, Order of the World, that is this Arkham villains in a mythic Gotham that used Azrael and then spinning forward into sort of Azrael incorporating not just the traditional order of St. Dumas mythology that is part of Azrael, but bringing in the new gods and vengeance, the new generation Bane, which is a more minor and side note to this, general question there Batman is a character that can be taken in so many different directions as can his world you can get year one which is so gritty and earthly and grounded and then you can get the macabre horror Gotham which seems to be the Gotham you've been playing with what is it about Batman and horror that works for you
2: yeah. I think it's it's intrinsically there. Like you know, Batman was always the Gothic version of the superhero. He's like the you know he's the the Platonic form of that idea. Um I I, I do think you know to sort of speak to the sort of like wider thing. I think I think Gotham is basically a magic city where anything can happen. Um, which is why you can do a book like Arkham City, which doesn't have Batman in it at all. Um, I'd still feel it still feels like Part of that world. Um, it's a you know it's a city full of demons and uh, mad scientists and normal people just trying to get by, um, and you know all of those things sort of like coexisting on top of each other. Um, so you can you can literally tell any sort of city story in in, um, in Gotham that my versions end up to be end up being or perceived as at least like uh, sort of the more horror end of it uh it might just speak to how I find living in the city <laughs> but um you know I was I think I think it's more than one wanting it to be a place of like horror I, I like I I these days I think Gotham is this sort of let's think' of it as this sort of like very desperate place um you know where, where people have been sort of very failed by like the infrastructure and very failed by the sort of um you know the authorities hence why you would you know so someone decided to start dressing up with a bat and beating people up um so i think that's that's always what i want to tap into sort of very this this is a place where people live despite the joker slaughtering you know half your neighbors uh, every other weekend uh, and you probably don't live there unless you have <laughs>
1: You're probably playing pretty good averages. If you're only getting half your neighbors <laughs> every other weekend. Yeah, yeah
0: There you go. I, oh man. Okay. So. Oh I I, I want to see, there's gotta be like in universe, there has to be some sort of reporting mechanism for like the GCPD. Like, you know, how police departments have to report on like, you know, use of force complaints or, you know, arrests, calls for service you know, a version of that where it's like, here is the Joker murder rate per 1,000 residents. Here's the Riddler rate. <laughs> you know, for each of the uh, the A-tier villains. I mean, you know, they on a ten over the last few decades. Those are numbers I'd like to see. But, uh, you know, speaking specifically to, to your work, Dan, uh, you have made it so that, A, I have heard of the Ten-Eyed Man, and B, I want nothing but good things for him. Even though he's creepy and, you know, still a murderer.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, he doesn't think of himself that way. Um no. you know, he's not he's not trying, he's not out to get anyone. Um yeah, I, I yeah, taking on Ted Man like and, and sort of making him I kind of wanted to make him kind of the spirit of Arkham because you know, everyone else seems to seems to break out and you know, murder your neighbours every other weekend and and Adman saw Ten Advance just stuck in the he's the only one who doesn't seem to break out very well. So he must have just been in there for decades. So, I like the idea that he sort of slowly mutated into
0: this personification of it. Absolutely. But you know, this is this is a lot of stuff. You know, you're you're a busy guy. How how do you kind of schedule out all these projects? Now, are you you know are you working on like multiple books simultaneously in a given day, or you know do you kind of overstructure and you have sort of dedicated space and time broken out for each? I really wish it was structured.
2: Um I have I have uh my deadlines written down in my in my notebook. And then things get done uh as as they need to pretty much. Um yeah, it's, it's it's good to be I try not to put to work on multiple projects on on the same day. But you know, that's it, I'm gonna have to today um get things to get things done. Um I'd, I'd, I'd rather, you know, finish finish a thing, finish an issue at least and move on to the next one. But it's not always possible. Uh that said, it said, it's it, it's always very nice to be working on multiple things at once. So it's nice being able to sort of take a couple of weeks off once you finish the issue and then come back to that with fresh eyes and write the next part of that story. That's something I very much like about this this job and the structure of content.
0: So uh, one book I wanted to ask about uh, as we're, you know, before we wrap up here now, previews has on sale dates for uh, two more issues of your vault book, the picture of everything else, you know, are, are those any chance? Those are, are, you know, reliable where, you know, where are you kind of at with that one?
2: And show still drawing it. He's back to drawing it. Um, the hold up there has been, has been, mainly on that end in terms of uh there was some some sort of like rough personal stuff he we went through particularly with uh, during the pandemic um yeah. and so it was kind of hard for us to, to to get that rolling again he is drawing it right now so uh, hopefully those are accurate and hopefully we can we can wrap this story up
0: um as as was intended to be that's great um any uh, conventions or signings coming up to, to celebrate all these releases
2: no I, don't, I think the next convention i might be at is probably new york comic-con which is uh, quite a way out but i've got a lot of uh did a lot of traveling this year so uh for, for, for non-work reasons so uh yeah it's kind of hard to say like where i'm going to be at any given point
0: gotcha um any other projects on the horizon that you can talk about that uh, we might have missed?
1: Uh, no, <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, I can talk about.
2: Um, I guess the one thing that I'm, I'm very excited about that, that I hope people are sort of like will, will look out for is uh, create crater own project that I'm working on with uh, Sumit Kumar, but also with uh, Ramvi, uh, Lawrence Campbell uh, with the and Tom Muller, um, so that's that's an interesting thing that Ram and I have had on the back burner for a long time and is finally pretty much ready to to, to announce. So this is, so uh, it's something that hopefully people haven't seen before. It's not just it's not just a co-written project. It's something else. Um, so yeah, uh, that, that's what I'm very excited about.
0: You know one one thing I I will say I'm looking you know I'm looking forward to that you know I've enjoyed Sumit's work with Ram on stuff obviously you know I I kind of like when the different artists that that you and the White Noise guys have been associated with kind of end up trading off like I liked seeing Alex work with Casper on uh, All Against All that was great you know it's it's it it shakes things man. up yeah
2: yeah it's great it, it's because uh, and it's because we all we all like each other's work and we all. Um, you know, sort of, you can't, you haven't always got, like, the time to, to collaborate with everyone you want to, uh, but we're always, you know, on the lookout for, for good people to work with. So me and I first worked together, we did a, an actual story at DC after Ron brought him into DC, so, it's a, yeah, it's nice how these sort of things
0: come together. So, uh, penultimate question, what are you reading right now?
2: Well, you know, I'm actually, I've I'm, I'm just broached the first volume of uh, Killadelphia, there's a gap in my knowledge. I hadn't read that yet. And I'm really enjoying that so far. Uh, I'm, I'm behind on things in general. Um, reading the last Murakami novel at the moment, uh, that's that's the main thing I'm, I'm sitting down with.
0: Well, Dan, this has been a fantastic time. Final question as we release you back into the world. Uh, how can people follow you online and keep up with the many books that you got going on right now?
2: Uh, yeah, easiest easiest way to place to find me online is is, is Twitter. Um I'm on those at Dan PG Waters until that website spontaneously combusts. So, you know, I haven't checked in the 45 minutes we've been talking, so it might it might be gone now. You <laughs> know, uh, it seems to be in that sort of space. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at the same at the same app, but uh, I use I
0: definitely use Twitter more, more more often for uh, work purposes. All right, well, Dan, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of XF, where you can find this podcast, along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, a Batman ranking podcast co-hosted by Matt Lasowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash Comics a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shout-outs on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a Pete Wisdom Hot Claw sticker designed by Kevin Newburn. A $3 donation gets you access to our bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. A $4 donation gets you access to Our Son Pete and the sticker a $25 donation lets you plug your crowdfunded or creator owned comic in a 60 second spot, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons Charlie Davis, Robert Secundus, Liz Large, and Will Nevin from ComicsXF, Carla Pacheco, Mike Sagawa, and Asimov Fangirl, aka The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQA on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLast1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF, xf assuming twitter still works and until next week remember somewhere out there there's a batman comic where all the characters simply cannot stop saying the word boner W-N-Q-A.